You're listening to the Sales Process Excellence Podcast with Michael Webb. Hello, this is Michael Webb. Some people focus on reaching decision makers and selling value. Other people focus on gathering data, analyzing cause and effect. In this podcast, we focus on both, on selling value and using data to tell us where the value is so that we can create wealth for customers, our companies, and ourselves. This is the Sales Process Excellence Podcast, and I'm thrilled to have Bob Apollo with me again. Bob, thank you for coming. Michael, well, thank you for inviting me again. I'm very glad to have joined you today. And just uh, for those who might not have heard the first podcast we did, um, can you give us a 30-second overview of what you do? So I run a sales effectiveness consultancy company based here in the UK, but last year our client footprint stretched from Salt Lake City to Mumbai. One of my goals this year is to make that footprint a little bit shorter. But what we do for those clients is to help put an integrated program together, combines training, systems, processes, and materials to help all of their salespeople do a more effective job of engaging with their customers. Super. So I I definitely think from my research, you are in the leading edge of consultancies in process effectiveness, sales effectiveness, um, because you're connecting multiple factors. So when we had our first discussion, we kind of ended that discussion, and you were making some observations about uh, CRM software, and how it has changed over the years and the need for, uh, as you just pointed out, this, this integrated approach of a variety of factors. So we, we agreed to uh, have another conversation and this time to focus especially on CRM and software and the role of software. So I have, uh, to kind of start this out, I have a sort of a strategic definition question to start us out just to make sure that we've defined our terms and and we're talking about the same thing. So there's this group of customer facing people in any company and they're working, usually working really hard. They have various kinds of expertise in sales and marketing and communications, relationship building and negotiation and training and servicing customers and so forth. Now, if you're the leader, and you're responsible for the performance of the company and specifically for this uh, sales, marketing, servicing team. Um, So that's the context. Now, if you're the leader of that company, at the end of the day, ultimately, um, Bob, tell me, what are you pursuing or wanting to maintain, gain, or improve, um, at, at least at a high level you know, kind of a results-oriented level? What are you trying to maintain, gain, or improve as the leader? So I I, I think both at the individual level and at the collective level, with a group of people with that range of responsibilities, what I'd like to accomplish is a really clear and common understanding of who our best customers are, what the key problems we solve for them are, how we deliver solutions that enable them, to achieve business advantage, and that that information is widely shared and disseminated within our organization. So in turn, 
all of that important understanding and insight can be shared back with both our current and our future customers. And I think really that's a matter of making sure that we create a learning environment, that we eliminate uh, sources of waste and of error, um, and that we recognize that uh, much of this information is actually in the heads and in the experience of our colleagues in the front line, and that it's only really by collecting and resharing that frontline experience that we can maximize our progress. All right. So I have a follow-up question, and then I'm going to ask you a clarification question. So the follow-up question is, for that same person, that leader, what are you wanting to avoid or decrease? Well, uh, I think... Uh, it depends on where I'm starting from, but certainly I would want to be decreasing or eliminating the silos of information that commonly bedevil uh, large organizations. Um, I'd like to avoid um, any of my uh, any of the members of my team uh, making uh, repeatable, avoidable errors. Um, I'd probably be less concerned about the pursuit of perfection, because I think that's a particularly difficult challenge in a complex sales environment. But certainly, I'd want us to collectively and progressively eliminate the uh, predictable things we should be avoiding or not doing um, in order to get the best possible results, both for ourselves and for our customers. Okay. And, and you need data for that. You need patterns. You need to be able to identify patterns of performance and behavior, and you need data, and you need to be able to draw some conclusions as to the relationship between uh, different data points. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask a clarifying question, and it, it's going to sound like I'm pushing back uh, a little bit, and, and I am, but I think you'll agree with the, the reason uh, why, because you just said um, we, we, want, we need data and evidence to be able to figure out what to stop doing, right? Mm -hmm. And so the question is, how do you know? How do you know um, that you need to decrease the silos? You know, why are you decreasing the silos? Why are you needing to avoid errors? Just like, why do you need to know better what customers want? Why do you need to take what's in people's head and synchronize it uh, around the team. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that an organization is a system and it consumes resources and it produces value. So you have input and you have output. And at the end of the day, you're trying to increase the value that it produces and reduce the resources that it consumes. Would you mm -hmm. agree with that? Uh, broadly speaking, I don't think that's the only objective, but I, it's certainly got to be one of the high-level uh, uh, objectives for an organization. Okay, so we haven't defined what value is. So what other objectives would there be besides that? Well, uh, we might, for example, want to increase our share of a market. We might want to penetrate a, a new market. Uh, we might want... Uh, to change the balance or the shape of our business. Now, all of those ultimately point towards uh, the creation or the destruction of value, um, but there are some specific ways in which we might choose to look at those goals. Yes, okay. So, so yes, I see why you said broadly speaking. So now, 
um, I mean, at, at a high level, then the purpose is to increase the value, the profit, right, and reduce the cost um, and the waste. And so if you get past that, then you get into, well, gee, this is the system. What are the elements or the factors that affect, you know, those outcomes uh, that that you desire? So, you know, you mentioned some of them, I think. Um, do you have a, is there like a, a framework that you repeatedly use when you're thinking about those causes and effects that are in a sales and marketing organization? So there are a number of indicators which I think can provide a framework. Uh, one of the things I'd look for in any client engagement is uh, the clarity with which we understand our ideal customer profile. Um, and that ideal customer profile is not just about we sell into this demographic or that geography or into that role. Uh, it's more about uh, the, the type of organizations we uh, have managed to be most successful with. And that's there's a closer correlation when you look at these things between structural and cultural factors, which I'll acknowledge are harder to measure, but no less important for that than there is a correlation between we do best in this or that industry. And that's just one you know, p potential foundational piece of information. Sure. So keep going. What are some of the other foundations? So uh, another one, I think, is uh, what issues we're choosing to try and solve for the customer. Uh, now, this implies, of course, that we are a, 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 a company whose mission is to deliver somewhat replicable solutions, that we're not trying to craft a brand new and unique solution for every individual customer. That, for example, might be represented by uh, a system integrator model. Um, uh, but if we're an organization that's trying on a replicable and somewhat predictable basis to uh, identify and address common customer problems, then, then clarity about so what issues did our customers come to us with and uh, what outcomes did we successfully enable them to achieve? And, and to your, uh, you know, your, your, your thoughts about value, of course, I think one of the key foundations for a vendor generating value is the uh, degree of value that they enable their customers to uh, achieve as a consequence of their involvement. Okay. Anything else? Uh, I, I, I think when it comes to patterns and processes, I've always found it more helpful to be able to diagnose where we succeed or fail in uh, any customer engagement. If I look at it through the lens of um, where's the customer in their decision-making journey? There we go. And yeah. What have we done to facilitate that decision-making journey? Right. Uh, and that, that is at odds with many conventional um, approaches to sales management, which tend to be sales activity or sales stage-based. And it's also contrary to what you typically get if you opened up a box, a virtual box, 
of a CRM solution and looked at how it had been initially configured. I'm working with a client right now, and that's one of their um, fundamental complaints is that, that the way that they're managing sales right now is all about activities. Yep. And so one of the, one of the, one of the sales managers uh, sort of surreptitiously pulled some information from the database and made an analysis that the people who were the best at hitting those activity targets were typically not the ones who were the best at achieving the revenue goals and customer satisfaction goals and, uh, and so forth. Well, and I, I think one of the potential challenges there is is if the metrics are largely quantity-based and are not quality-based, exactly. uh, and by quality I mean uh, play a real role in advancing the buying decision uh, process, then you're absolutely right. Uh, and in fact, I think it is a significant failure in many organizations that they they think about activity as fundamentally a question of quantity and not of quality. And so I've often observed that within a, B, a B2B company, it's very common for almost no one to really understand how sales are made. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that too? Uh, maybe I'm fortunate in that the clients I work with are perhaps a little bit more enlightened than you suggest. You mean outside of the sales management team? You mean yeah, outside the sales management and man- the rest of the company? <laughs> they don't yeah, understand. No, no, I think that is a bit of a, a a problem, and it's actually an even broader problem than that because, of course, uh, many of the clients I work with are in a scale up or growth phase, and they're looking for external growth investment. And uh, one of my observations is that the external investors are often pretty well experienced about doing financial due diligence, but they're very often blindsided by what I'd uh, characterize as sales effectiveness or sales scalability due diligence. Mm -hmm. So tell me more. Well, you know, uh, the financial due diligence measures are relatively easy to to establish. But if I'm thinking about investing in a, you know, an apparently promising business, part of my uh, investment hypothesis, whether I declare it openly or not, is a belief that by injecting financial resources, those financial resources will then be invested in um increasing capacity in uh, well identified parts of the sales process that have the effect of driving revenue and profit and uh it, unfortunately um you know the influx of new investment often results let's say in a round of hiring of new salespeople and so on and um, those new salespeople are thrown into a context that uh, they don't really understand, but also right. the organization uh, recruiting them doesn't properly understand. So they can't give them the sort of guidance that would allow an otherwise well-qualified new salesperson to become effective anything like as quickly as they could be. Well, and there's there's even more. I'm reminded of uh, a book, an old book, Managing Major Sales by Neil Rackham and Richard Ruff. 
um, yep. might be from the 1990s or something. But there's a story that Neil Rackham uh, talks about in there of a company that was struggling to grow. So they hired a new sales manager. And when the sales manager observed that the salespeople were only making you know, like two calls per day, immediately issued the edict. Well, you guys have to triple that. We need mm-hmm. salespeople making way more calls per day. Right. And there were objections and there was resistance. And ultimately there was turnover and there were customers leaving and it did not work at all because mm-hmm. that sales manager had in his mind a different industry where he had grown up. And the way to succeed in that industry was higher call volume activity. And he didn't, nobody really could articulate the qualities that could tell you whether a salesperson was doing a good job or a customer was really a good prospect. And, you know, it's more about outcomes achieved than activities completed. Uh, But that takes a slightly different mindset. Um, If I might suggest a somewhat more sophisticated mindset, than because it's pretty convenient isn't it to just think in terms of uh, an easily measurable activity but you know the purpose of any activity in the sales process i would suggest is to achieve a desired outcome and that's really where the focus needs to be and the outcome ultimately some people think the outcome is a sale um But I heard you say something that more advanced companies, and I would agree with this, I think you're saying that the outcome is a customer who's more profitable because of you, because that way they're referenceable and they'll be loyal. Sure, that's one version of a long-term outcome, but I'd also suggest to you that a short-term outcome might be the recognition sooner rather than later that the opportunity you're pursuing uh, is actually unlikely to be successful either for you or for the customer and and so one of the outcomes is a willingness to walk away from bad business um or bad potential right business right to be able to identify it and yep. then to have the, the license uh to walk away from it that can be difficult for uh, well those uh, organizations to, to get used to well and, and to your point about data um, again, you know, we've discussed why activity levels are not necessarily particularly uh, good metrics if they're out of context. Then uh, equally, pipe, raw pipeline value isn't a particularly good measure. And in fact, what I've observed is those organizations who have an obsession about uh, building pipeline value without proper regard for the quality of the pipeline, very often then create an environment where salespeople are discouraged from qualifying out bad opportunities. And that's a really dysfunctional way of running a sales organization. Yes, absolutely. So so your, your point is that we have to be able to identify uh, quality. Yep. How do we do that? Well, uh, so at the organizational level, uh, and let me put it in context, I'm I'm sure some examples might be helpful. Um, I work with many clients who are pioneering new market segments or attempting to sort of re-engineer existing markets. And it takes a certain type of potential customer to be open to that sort of thing. 
you know, a customer that um, is open to innovation, has a track record of buying best of breed solutions rather than always falling back on the safe established brands. And, uh, you know, you might not be able to determine that in LinkedIn or in the, you might get some inkling of it in the annual report, but you really make that judgment as a result of having informed conversations with the customer. But you need to know what to ask. And so how do you know if a salesperson is doing a good job? Well, uh, again, you, you'd look um, at the surface finish of that is, so uh, what outcomes are those salespeople managing to accomplish? Mm -hmm. uh, and again, that I would suggest is dependent on how you're measuring the outcomes. So it is much easier to do so in an environment where you have implemented uh, qualification criteria that the salespeople buy into and see value in, where you've implemented a pipeline uh, definition, which relates reasonably accurately. It's Im impossible in many cases to get perfect accuracy, but you know reflects with reasonable accuracy where the customer is in their in their buying cycle. Um, in in my experience, you know the difference between success and failure can often be found in probably no more than a handful of key things that need to be accomplished during the sales process. And perhaps the most important of those is the discovery and qualification uh, exercise. And so one of the things you, I think if you were a sales leader would want to look for would be to satisfy yourself that your salesperson had done their own good due diligence and discovery before deciding to aggressively invest their own resources in uh, pursuing the opportunity. Okay. Um, so when we were talking before, um, you made some points I thought were uh, really quite valid, that um, the history of CRM is that it started out unfortunately, as yep. being kind of administration-oriented. And I, from what you said, I was uh, taking it to also mean that that included gathering data and storing the data, uh, if I'm not Yeah, I, uh, by the way, I, I, I don't want any, any of this to you know, imply that I'm anti-data. I just think that many of the initial CRM systems didn't actually collect particularly useful data. Right. Yes, right. I, I'm in agreement with you there. Um, and then you also said that um, um, rather than have a data orientation, you said it's easier to have a behavior orientation well, and then back into the data. So help explain right. here what your what your philosophy is. Here. Well, be, be behavior or process. So um, and as per our earlier interview, I've got a slightly ambiguous perspective on how people use the word process. But I think if you have a sort of a data-centric approach to CRM, it's all about what's in the activity record, what's in the contact record, what's in the, um, you know, the uh, the account record, and uh, and so on. Whereas I think if you take a behavioral or, or process orientation, your primary concern is how do we guide salespeople into doing things that are likely res to result in valuable outcomes and what data do we need 
to support them in their mission to generate valuable outcomes. So you're kind of reversing it in a way. Yeah, the data is supportive of the outcomes that you've recognized you want to accomplish. Right. And, and so how do you know those things? How do you know that certain behaviors will create the outcomes that you want? Well, once you've got a bit of a head of steam, and if you've chosen to instrument whatever CRM you've chosen in a way that allows you to gather the data, uh, you can, of course, over a period of time, build up a increasingly useful analysis of this. But um, in the early days, prior to having that stream of data, um, one of the really illuminating data points is uh, is often to conduct uh, proper win proper independent win loss analysis that doesn't just uh, as unfortunately so many of them do just consider you know think about why did we win or lose which it really typically then focuses at the end of the buying cycle but is much more concerned about um, what were the key stages the buyer went through in their decision-making journey and how well did we facilitate that? What were the moments of truth and the moments of frustration? And, uh, and what can we do as a result of that learning to encourage uh, more of the right sort of um, you know, performance on the, on the part of the salesperson? All right. Can you put a concrete example of that? Uh, can you can you tell us about a, a situation that's that's uh, simple enough, but it's real? Yeah. So, in fact, I've been undertaking uh, this with uh, one of my clients, and uh, our our initial simple assessment of so what are the patterns of success and failure? Uh, firstly, so they're a fairly innovative uh, software vendor. Uh, and that one of the hidden patterns was they were far more successful in uh, selling it to customers that had a best of breed approach to uh, implementing solutions than they were into the more conservative, um, you know, I'll go with the big brand. Vendors. So is that an observation or is that a judgment or how do you know that? Well, um, you know, this is semi-scientific, yes. I mean, I think we need a structure, but sometimes you're just looking for some insights, which you, which you then look for ways of proving. But um, when we were conducting the the loss analysis in particular and asking uh, very often the champions of the project what had happened, they would say, "Well, we didn't realize that our corporate strategy." was going to come down so hard in favor of the established vendors. So, you know, that insight can then allow us to make sure that we ask a question. We, we, we look, we observe, we look for evidence of how the customer has um, made previous decisions. Good. Okay. All right. So keep going. Uh, I think the other very, very clear pattern was that we tended to, they tended to be much more successful, the salespeople who were more successful. So this is partly down to looking for patterns of sales behavior as well, were ones that had the uh, confidence to really stick with the discovery process 
um, for significantly longer than their uh, more boisterous uh, colleagues who would tend to pitch the solution too early. Mm. And that, that was a pretty pivotal observation. Um, you know, invest in discovery, improve chances of success, or of course, equally, it allowed salespeople to accurately qualify out. So uh, pattern number one, uh, sell to organizations who are predisposed to buy your sort of solution from your sort of company. And uh, two, um, and this is really a role, I think, for the first level sales leaders, as much of performance effectiveness is um, for the first level sales leaders to really coach and mentor and insist that their uh, salespeople really do deep discovery. And that when the sales leaders uh, conduct opportunity reviews, that they insist on uh, that their salespeople show, show they're working, if you like. Don't just make hopeful assumptions about uh, the deal, but, but they qualify effectively. Uh, and so we distilled that into um, a handful of formalized qualification criteria um on a short you know short scale mm -hmm. but i think the important thing we did on top of that was not just to invite the salesperson to sort of self-assess is it a uh, high medium low or what have you on these scales and of course those scales need to be very simply and clearly defined if you're trying to be consistent in your qualification but we asked them to and it needed only to be a single sentence to justify to themselves how and why they came to that particular decision. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's how we positioned it. You know, we said, we're not trying to collect all this information to, you know, subsequently subject you to, uh, you know, review. The primary purpose of asking you to capture your reason, your justification, is so that you can be sure you've got your thinking straight. Yeah, um, something that's what's in it for the salesperson. Yeah, and by the way, my general observations are um, CRM projects uh, are much more successful when the organization implementing them consciously and not half-heartedly uh, involves the salespeople in their definition, in their rollout, and so on. If these systems are imposed centrally, um, the chances of success are very significantly reduced. Okay, so um, is, is there more to You had said to me, it's easier to start with a behavioral mindset and then yeah. look at what data is required to change behaviors. Um, or, or to measure behaviors. Uh, and uh, so be, to be clear, I mean, I think it depends a little bit on how we're defining behavior. If by behavior we mean things that salespeople do, then I think we can, um, you know, establish data which helps us recognize patterns of effective and ineffective um, performance. But behavior is also in part a mindset. Um, and that you know, if I think of, as I do work with clients to recruit the right sort of salespeople, um, it really helps 
if you've got a bunch of salespeople who've got the right mindset to start with, and if when you add uh, new hires, a big part of your criteria is about attitude and aptitude and potential capability, um, and not just about the past experience that they can claim. And one fellow I talked with a few years ago had a great way to capture that. He said that some organizations try to hire salespeople and expect them to prove how good they are. Mm. But better sales organizations hire salespeople who, and then expect them to improve how good they are. Well, Big yeah, difference uh, in mindset there. Uh, and and uh, I, I think you've actually implied a very, very fundamental point here because, you know, in, in our discussions, we might have Im been implying that it's the organization for whom the salesperson works that sort of bears the brunt of sales effectiveness um, initiatives. But I think really what we're looking for is to recruit a team of salespeople, and by team, I certainly mean uh, people who are prepared and willing and good at collaborating with each other and not just being personally successful. Um, but I think we need to look for when we're hiring for salespeople who uh, have accepted a personal responsibility for self-improvement, mm -hmm. who are curious who, you know, uh, read sales books, who attend uh, events, who uh, have, would never, ever get to a point where they either think or imply that they've learned it all. You know, uh, people who are, still see themselves on an upward learning trajectory. Uh, I think that's just so, so important. And it's extremely dangerous if either by accident or design we end up recruiting people who have peaked who have no further to go right in, yeah. in terms of their desire or willingness or ability to improve themselves okay so sort of a wrap-up question here then in this context which i think has been uh, fascinating and, and very well articulated this role of crm uh, software, since it has changed from the early years to now, yeah. what is it that the CRM software enables you to do that you couldn't do before? Well, of course, you have to choose the right platform. And I would suggest for anybody who's looking at CRM today to look for a platform that recognizes the importance of guiding the right behaviors in the, in the salespeople. So, so I believe what we can do today that it was hard to do before was to be able to um, include um, guidance in the CRM, that situational guidance. You know, if I'm selling into finance, here is information that's valuable for having really uh, constructive conversations with finance companies at this stage um, in the process. So um, I think one of the things that a, a really effective CRM system can do is to guide the salespeople in accumulated best practice. And of course, that accumulated best practice is evolving all the time. Uh, one of the things one of my clients does is regularly run sessions with their salespeople saying, so what are the new objections you're hearing? And then we role play them so that um, 
everybody in the sales organization can be exposed to. So how could I deal with this? So that that's one thing. I think the other thing to look for, whether it's integrated directly into the CRM, and increasingly it is, so I think that's a tremendous step forward, or whether it's a third-party specialist add-on, is that all of the CRM data is exposed and can be uh, viewed and manipulated through a sales analytics, whether you call it portal or window or function. So guidance for the individual salespeople, uh, uh, analytics, pattern recognition, um, raw material for identifying opportunities for improvement, and that's something you know, for the sales management and the sales leadership. There's a bunch of other things, but yeah. I, I would suggest that those two are particularly important. I remember a <clears throat> um, lengthy conversation I had <clears throat> pardon me, uh, with the product manager of, uh, just put it this way, uh, the largest, if, if not one of the largest CRM uh, software companies and admitted to me on the phone that his system out of the box is not capable of calculating or tracking the conversion rates that actually take place right. from stage one to stage two to stage three to stage four. And but 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 it does so many other good things. It's really really a good system. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh my god, oh my god. Um, well, what's, uh, what, what that, that that did a couple of things, though, right? One, it opened the door to third-party analytics vendors, um, and I know the company you're thinking of. And one of its uh, virtues, actually, is if you know where to look, you can find all of that information. Um, it just and, costs extra, uh, you know, extra to pull that information out and customize the program and put add-ons right. on and all yeah. that. So, so at, at least it, at least it was capturing it, but it opened the door to a bunch of, and there are some in particular I can think of, third-party analytics vendors who just do, you know, an outstanding job um, of helping sales leaders to detect patterns. Um, and it also opened the door for a new generation of um, CRM solutions that, if you know, if they're built around the idea of guiding and analyzing sales performance of course it's a no-brainer that the sort of statistics you've referred to and actually much more ought to just be automatically generated by the system right. that's right and the truth is those systems um were built to fulfill the need perceived by the managements of the time yeah <clears throat> and it's a shame but most managements don't understand how you can use data to change and improve the sales process. They think it's about more activity, better salespeople, you know, work harder, more proposals. And as long as um, senior leaders think that's just the way it is in sales, there's not going to be much demand for well, improving. Uh, let, let me reassure you that I think that, uh, that those behaviors, those attitudes may still exist amongst uh, a certain proportion of the sales leadership population, either by accident or by design. And I suppose it's a bit of a self-qualifying thing because anybody who looks at my philosophy would probably, and buys into it, would probably naturally fit into the more enlightened, I hope would fit into the more enlightened uh, category. Uh, I think there are uh, 
uh, hopefully a growing group of sales leaders who actually have recognized the value of data. Everything from very simple things like time in stage, conversion uh, by stage, um, how those things differ between net new business and install base and upsells and you know recognizing that you can't apply a one size fits all so i i'm 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 encouraged actually i believe even if they're not in the majority there's a growing group of sales leaders who are becoming more data literate yes i agree with you so bob once again Great conversation. Um, thank you very much for agreeing to be on the podcast and speaking so openly and, um, and putting up with my sort of analytical uh, questions. I appreciate it. If someone in the audience wants to learn more about you, how do they, how do they find you? Well, I certainly hope they do. And if they choose to want to find out more, you can find me on my website, and that is www.inflection-point.com, and inflection is spelt with an X. And uh, on that site, there's a couple of areas uh, that I'd encourage visitors to take a look at. One of the obvious ones is the blog, and uh, I've got also what I hope they will find a useful resources area, where there's a number of videos, downloads, etc., that... Uh, I, uh, I hope they will find informative and maybe even uh, stimulating. Super. Well, thank you very much. We'll have to do this again soon. I look forward to it. The Sales Process Excellence Podcast is sponsored by Sales Performance Consultants. Discover how to improve your B2B sales with systems thinking at salesperformance.com.